So on today's show, we have attorney Matt Clark. He's with the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty, and we're talking about suing the state of Alabama. I know you're intrigued, right? And how about what's monkeypox? Who knows? Stay tuned. Welcome into this week's edition of Alabama Unfiltered. I am one of your hosts, Scott Beeson. Amy Beth Shaver is with me. Allison Sinclair is with me as well. We've got a big show planned for you today. We're going to have Matt Clark from the Alabama Center for, make sure I get it right, Law and Liberty. Ladies, how are y'all? We're good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Matt, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here, Scott. Good deal. We appreciate you having uh, being on the program today. And I just want to start, before we even get to all the details, how it affects Alabama, um, what really made you start this organization? Give us a little bit of information about your organization and, and just some background in general. Sure. So uh, the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty is relatively new. We started in March of 2021. Um, and launching a litigation arm is something that had been on uh, the Alabama Policy Institute's radar for a long time. They were doing a great job of doing you know research and, and coming up with good policy positions for the legislature. But um, I think like a lot of conservatives uh, and conservative organizations, they realize, you know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to pour blood, sweat and tears into fighting for good legislation just to have activist judges come along later and, you know, strike it down. Um, so they, they knew that they needed a presence in the legal arena. Um, so they reached out to Matt Staver, who is the um, head of Liberty Council, Florida based uh, religious liberty organization. Uh, they do great work. And um, I actually knew Matt Staver from my days back at law school. He was the dean at Liberty University School of Law, where I went. And um, I've kept up with Matt over the years. And and I was working at another uh, religious liberty organization here in Alabama at the time. But you know, I was kind of looking to uh, to to move on. Um, I, the the firm I was at was doing great work, but I was kind of like a uh, kind of like one of the grunts. You know, did did a lot of heavy lifting, but didn't have a lot of the discretion to call the shots. And so I was kind of looking to take the next step in my career. Um, but when API asked Matt, who they thought might be a good candidate to head up ACLL, uh, Matt was kind enough to recommend me. So um, came up to API, had an interview, everything seemed to click. And um, I, I'll tell you, it, it was a little surprising to me because when I heard API was starting up a legal arm, um, I reached out just for, you know, seeing if I could um, be, what kind of work environment they'd have and, and whether I could work there. And then Meredith Stanley called me and she said, Hey, we're, we're, we'd like to talk to you about leading it. I said, what? Oh, you want to, <laughs> you want me to lead it? Okay. So it was a little bit of a surprise to me, but um, it, it, uh, it, it turned out to be a huge blessing. We've only been around for a year and uh, already having a lot of fun kind of being the conservative alternative to the ACLU Southern Poverty Law Center and a lot of those other legal organizations out there. No, that's that's a great story, and and I don't I don't envy you necessarily, but how do you find conservative lawyers um, to actually help with the effort? It seems like there are fewer and fewer conservative lawyers, and uh, the law schools don't seem to be turning out you know conservative Christian strict constructionist right. those kind of folks. So how do you find people to help? I mean, do you have to literally reach out into other states, or kind of what's the challenge there? Mm. Well, you, you have to know who to talk to. Um, you know, you're, you're right about the environment of our, our law schools. There are very few conservative law schools in the United States. I think uh, um, shortly after the Civil War, um, law schools were 
um, one of the first American institutions to turn insanely liberal. Um, and they were like that for a, a very long time. So there, there are a few conservative law schools in the country. So I, I'm, I'm trying to work on having good relationships with them so that I can, I can get help from them. But, you know, as bad as regular law schools are, um, there, there, there's always, there, there always seems to be a remnant that's left of, of good guys. God, uh, seems to have a way of doing that. So, um, you know, you, you, you come to know uh, a professor or two at the University of Alabama, you know, a handful of them at Faulkner and, and, and other schools where you can reach out and say, hey, um, this is what I'm doing. If you have any students that would be interested in working with me in the future, you know, feel free to send them my way. And, and before you know it, you start growing a network of, of people that like what you're doing and want to help. Now, are you able to partner with some of the other national organizations like um, Alliance Defending Freedom or First Liberty? other um, organizations like that, will you work hand in hand with them on some cases? Yeah, uh, we actually just got done um, working with Alliance Defending Freedom in a college free speech case. Um, at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, there's a Young America, Young Americans for Liberty chapter. And if you're not familiar with Young Americans for Liberty or, or YAL for short, they're, they're kind of like a right-leaning libertarian um, student group. And uh, they, they've been very active at the college level. Well, these students just wanted the basic right to, on the outdoor areas of campus to uh, get together, hold up signs, you know, talk to other students about what they believed and why. And the school had a very insanely restrictive speech code saying, all right, it's subject to very limited exceptions. You can't talk about what you want outside of our designated free speech zone. We're going to give you like, you know, 100 square feet on campus where you can go to that zone, talk about whatever you want, whenever you want. But otherwise, uh, you know, you have to get the university's permission first. That was stupid. Mm -hmm. uh, so Alliance Defending Freedom represented uh, that chapter and, and sued the school. Um, and they just had to appeal to the Alabama Supreme Court. So we came along and we filed a brief in that case uh, supporting them. And what we argued was that the Alabama Constitution's free speech clause actually provides more protection to the students than the federal free speech clause does. So, you know, um, it's pretty common for us to work with groups like ADF in, in cases like those where uh, they'll, they'll take a matter that's of interest to us. We'll come along and we'll say, all right, what can we do to complement your arguments and increase our, our chances of success, not only for winning this case, but also for uh, you know, moving the needle uh, in, in in the courts for, for setting favorable precedents for right. the things that we believe in. Mm. So it, it's a lot of fun. We get to do that pretty often. Some of some of your friends in in the, the national groups, do they come to you and say things like, how in the world are we having this case in Alabama? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm being uh, serious because yeah. sometimes I'm surprised that, that our universities or or bureaucracies will come up with these policies and you're like, this is Alabama. How, what made you think this was going to be a, right. a great idea? I mean, is, is it ever surprising? Are they surprised or? Yeah. You know, when, when I try to talk to people that work with national groups, um, I have to work to get their attention because when I, when I say that we're a conservative organization, that's, you know, fighting to make Alabama better, they give me a look like Alabama, that's about as deep red as it gets. I mean, <laughs> right. aren't you essentially preaching to the choir? Uh, but when I talk about cases like that, it's it's shocking. I, I have to tell them a lot of the times that, you know, Alabama is a yes, it is a deep red state and its people are very conservative, but its institutions aren't really all that conservative. And, and a lot of times that'll shock them. But then I get into examples of what we see and, you know, the kind of cases we have to bring. And they say, wow, OK, I, I guess uh, there really is a need for a conservative advocacy organization in Alabama itself. 
You could also point them back to our podcast from last week, which is all yeah. about political corruption and corruption in Alabama. Indeed. We're number yeah. one. Right. Well, I'm sure we imported people from all over the country because they were the smart people and put right. them in charge of our universities. And that's how we got where we are. It's true. So, you know, speaking of corruption in our state, um, could you tell us, we had the opportunity to hear about the work that you're doing last week at a forum. But could you talk to us about the case you're working on right now? I think it's fascinating, but I also think it's hopeful for people who all recognize that there was significant government, you know, governmental overreach right here in, like you said, Ruby Red, Alabama. Absolutely. Thanks, Amy Beth. So, um, yeah, we just launched uh, a few weeks ago our new flagship case in which we were challenging the constitutionality of uh the state's 2020 and 2021 COVID lockdowns and restrictions. Um, so as everybody knows, you know, COVID hit in 2020. It was, uh, it, it was a serious problem. I've, I've never been one of the people that thought that this is just a joke. Now it's, I think we can all acknowledge it was, it was very serious and it left a lot of people wondering, how do we handle this? Um, if, the government was was trying to do its job and just made some mistakes along the way, you know, some minor mistakes. I probably would not have jumped in the suit. But, you know, even in an emergency, there are some cardinal rules that you have to follow, including. All right. The Alabama Constitution uh, requires separation of powers among our branches of government. Um, as you know, th this is Civics 101. We've got three branches of government, legislative, executive and judicial. And the legislative power is the power to make law. Executive power is the power to enforce it. And, you know, we learned back around the time of the American founding, things go a lot better if you separate the powers and give them checks and balances. But if you start combining these powers into one person or uh, one set of magistrates, it, it goes very, very badly for liberty. So even when COVID hit, um, our legislature was in session and they could have hung around and deliberated and, and tried to figure out what do we do to try to protect the public health? Uh, for the good of our people, but they didn't do that. They ran away. And then all of a sudden, Scott Harris, our state health officer who is in the executive branch and is not elected or appointed, um, he, he's, he's elected by uh, the Medical Association here in Alabama, but he's, he's not accountable to the people at all. He came out and started issuing orders uh, for the entire state saying, um, you know, who could and couldn't stay open. Uh, he started imposing things like uh, restrictions on dining in restaurants. And then finally in April, uh, he issued the order for non-essential workers to stay at home. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just him by himself making these decisions as to who's essential and who's not. Is there, um, I'm sorry, is there a board or yeah. a committee that also has to approve those decisions or is it solely him? Uh, th that's an excellent question, Allison. So ordinarily, um, it, it's actually the, uh, the state board of health that has to make these decisions together. Yeah. Um, but he, he assumed that because this was an emergency, he could kind of take the bull by the horns and do this all by himself. So, so literally um, there was no discussion. Like, I mean, as yeah. far as you know, there wasn't a board meeting or a vote. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, Alabama law requires, uh, if, if you're going to, wind up making emergency rules. It, it does recognize there are times where emergencies arise, but there still are procedures that you have to follow. Right. And Dr. Harris didn't do that. He just kind of came out with a stroke of a pen and said, all right, uh, if you're in this list of, of workers, you can stay in business. If you're in this list of workers, you're not essential. You have to shut down. Um, and, and that's how he did it. 
And Governor Ivey, after a while, came out and started um, uh, pretty much endorsing his orders as her own when, when it looked like his authority to issue orders was going to run out. So, um, and, and in no time here did Governor Ivey ever call the legislature back for a special session. Um, that that was fully within her power to do. She could have said, listen, it looks like COVID's going to be with us for a while. We have to find a way to protect the public health without killing the economy. You guys do your jobs. Get together, argue this out, figure out what's good for the people, and then tell the state what we're going to do. And she never did that. Um, so she, she and Dr. Harris ran the state for about a full year and uh, got away with it. So, well, and just to um, emphasize, she doesn't even have the ability to do that in her powers either. I mean, they were treating this as law right. and it clearly was not a law. I'm wondering about the courts. Would the courts have had to upheld? Let's see. I know you made a comment about Steve Marshall and police force. Like, are we just now kind of like the mass mandate on airplanes with Biden, you know, his executive order? Are we just now realizing that none of this actually was legal? <laughs> that we shouldn't law? have been doing yeah. any of it? Yeah. No, I think um, there yeah. were there. I think there, and I think Matt will agree. A lot of people knew that this is way out of bounds. Right. But no one with authority wanted to come out and say, yes, this is way out of bounds. I mean, there were people bringing suits. I'm, I'm glad that Matt's bringing it, but there are a ton of people saying you can't do this. But, but and then the powers have, that be just said, uh, yes, we can. Well, and Matt, what you said, I feel like at the forum was that Steve Marshall said he would enforce these with police presence and things like that. Is that right. correct? Because to me, once you make that declaration, you really right. are ruling over the masses with, right. you know, a stroke of a pen. Is that correct? Yeah, you're absolutely right, wow. Allison. Okay. Uh, when yeah, Governor Ivy hosted a press conference when um, Scott Harris came out with the stay-at-home order, and Steve Marshall was there. You know, he's a top law enforcement officer in our state, and he says, "I hope it doesn't come to this, but if we have to, yes, state and local police stand ready to arrest people who violate these orders." So, gosh, you know, at, at that point, what could a law-abiding citizen do right. except sit back and then just you know, pray that they'd find a way to? make you know make money because you know if they try to go to work um then they're going to be arrested they're going to be thrown in jail which is bad enough but when COVID, you have a COVID outbreak they're going to be thrown in close quarters with a bunch of people that could be spreading it around too um so th this did not do the people of alabama any favors they, they they were really intimidated into backing down to staying away from work and the government uh the, or specifically governor ivy and dr harris didn't have lawful authority to do any of this. So that's why we felt it was important to pick this fight and try to make it right. So where do things stand right now? I, I Could you walk us through the the woman from Huntsville, how that happened, and then where, where things are right now? Sure. So our client is named Sarah Ann Riccio. She was running a wine tasting shop in Huntsville. Um, it, it constantly got great reviews on on Google, Yelp, and, and other uh, sites that review restaurants. Her, her ratings were constantly between 4.7 stars out of 5 to 5 stars out of 5. And even when COVID hit, her customers were um, noting the, the lengths that she went through to try to keep the place clean and sanitary and, and try to take precautions. Mm -hmm. um, but when these orders came out, um, for, first of all, she was prohibited from from having people in her shop, and she made seventy percent of her gross revenue from people uh, enjoying the wine tasting experience in, inside the shop. And then when the shutdown orders came, she was deemed non-essential. She was shut down. And then when she was finally re allowed to reopen, um, 
dining indoors was subject to such severe restrictions that it made it really hard for her to, you know, pull on the people that she needed to in order to turn right. a profit. Um, so she was eventually forced to go out of business at the end of uh, 2021. Um, so we, we have sued and we are asking uh, that the courts, you know, award her the money back that she lost, which totals $56,000. So, you know, one of my questions would be, um, if this turns out to, if, if y'all win the case, that would mean that hundreds of businesses and individuals have claims, wouldn't it? Or could have claims. Yeah, they could. Now, all right. You know, if, if in Which I'm theory, fine with because they did it. But still, yeah. I don't know how we, how, how we would ever remedy that. Yeah, it would, it would cause a big problem. You know, when, when I was crafting this case, I was asked if I would make it a class action. And I decided not to. I left, I left a lot of room for other plaintiffs to join us. But um, we can get into this later. But, but just knowing the Alabama courts, I think if we made it a class action and if everybody that was subject to the shutdown orders um, – was allowed to tap into that. I don't think there's any way the courts would ever rule in favor of the small businesses because, I mean, we're talking about millions and millions and millions and, and millions of dollars that the state would have to pay out and the courts don't want to be responsible for that. Um, so instead, I left room for a lot of business owners to jump on board with our lawsuit okay. um, if we can. But but I think um, just, just knowing how the courts operate, I, I think the only way that they would sign off on this is if they knew that um, th th there would be a fixed number of people that could get relief. So, you know, my right. thought was, all right, if, if you're willing to, you know, jump on board with us and put your name out there and put your name on a lawsuit, we, we can try to make it right for right. you. And then you're fixing a problem for the future. That's right. So let's not exactly. make these mistakes again. Um, I guess part of the suit will be, or I guess in when you're doing discovery or whatever you're going to do, how interesting it is, how they decided this business is essential and this business is not. Yes. Because mm -hmm. yeah, there's some, some interesting essential businesses that just happen to be powerful political entities. Right. And uh, so I'm wondering how the, the unelected uh, Scott Harris decided that it wasn't, weren't realtors. One of the things that uh, was essential. Weren't I think they were, I think they were. Cause yeah. you know, you absolutely don't you have to go in person to look at a house? Wasn't, that, wasn't the goal to avoid being around well, people? Well, it is it's such just a great question. That, that those because I did look up who the essential workers were. Yes. And it, it is all the powerful people. Mm -hmm. um, it was nationwide, you know, who was essential. But also, just a fun fact, everyone, did you know that golf named itself an essential sport? So while we were in lockdown, my son could still play golf because they were marked essential. So it makes no sense, you know, who's important and who's not like we actually played a lot of golf during lockdown. I'm just, well, I'm just being perfectly honest. But, you know, they put up the stupid shower curtains right? in between you on the cart. You're like, they did <laughs> not. Yeah. They, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's so silly, but I mean, was there a rhyme or reason or was it, we're just going to throw darts at our friends and mark them important, essential mm -hmm. as it were. And, and then the rest of you, sorry, let Weren't me, liquor stores essential? Yeah. Yes. How can liquor stores, liquor yeah, stores yeah, be essential and wine stores? Um, Walmart are. was essential, but your mom and pop small town grocery store mm -hmm. wasn't. Right. You know, I mean, it's just, it was so arbitrary and so obvious to me. Again, it goes back to our podcast last week of corruption. Right. I mean, it's just, who who can we not make mad? You know, who do we owe? Who do we bow right. down to? Who got us elected? 
who yes. got us elected. And you. meanwhile, <laughs> you know, the wine shop that she's worked so hard to build. I mean, a small business is hard to run and it takes time and energy and dedication and for it all just like that. And um, did she not just narrowly avoid bankruptcy? Yeah, yeah, she did. Uh, you know, she feels very fortunate that she was narrowly able to avoid it because a lot of her friends that were shut down like her uh, were not so fortunate. But um, when it looked like bankruptcy was going to be the only option, um, she did get an offer to sell a lot of her business property um, and, and assign her lease to a, a larger restaurant company that has uh, several locations in the Huntsville area. So that's how she was able to avoid uh, going into bankruptcy. What about, I mean, devil's advocate, people would say, well, why didn't she take out a PPP loan, right? PPP, something. OPP. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Some, um, but sh- she did, but you can't pay yeah. yourself as an owner. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, she did take out a loan and she got it. Um, but because of the terms of how uh, the, the loan structure was set up, she could not pay herself. Um, she was able to keep paying her employees. So, you know, she she wanted to do what she could for, for them because they had bills to pay too. Right. But when you think of the absurdity of the results, <laughs> you know, she was paying them to stay home and then she couldn't pay herself in order to keep all of this running. Meanwhile, her bills are adding up and, you know, things are looking bleak for her. So the PPP loan didn't do much to, to help the small business owner at all. Because her employees are sitting at home on their couch getting paid. It's just the whole thing's so mm-hmm. backwards. It, it really is. Well, and could we also just pause for the fact that the legislators ran away? I mean, oh, and- I mean, when you said that last week, that's one of the things that like you knew it, but then you said it out loud and I've had time to think about it. Been driving a lot, Matt. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And you think they, they ran right. and nobody's come back just like the pastors. No one's come, they, shut down. Let right. me be very right. careful. And nobody said, you know what? We, we got that wrong. Like we there's zero up. humility about that. Mm-hmm. And that's astounding yeah. to me. Well, Matt, if you'll remember when, when, when this was happening that first summer, I called it the great Wuhan holiday. And, <laughs> and people were, people were saying, look, the governor doesn't have this power. Scott Hunter doesn't have this power. It's not rocket science. Scott Harris. Scott Harris. Okay. Scott Hunter. Quarterback, I, a nice guy. I'm sure he's nice. He's, you just made yeah, him up. Former quarterback at Alabama. Sure. Um, same thing. Yeah, same thing. The, um, they didn't have this power, and, and people were saying, if, if you want this power, call the, the legislature back into session. We were talking about that on my radio program, and I know that some of those people listen. But they never, never even considered it. They had plenty of opportunities to call a special session and and actually grant the governor this power if they wanted but to. The but they didn't want to do that. The cynic in me, agreed. The cynic in me, and I used to not be like this. Like I really, you have ha- become more cynical since this show. Is no, started. I'm serious. It's bad. Like <laughs> it's I don't like Amy that. Fault, I used to be like, oh, rainbows. everybody's sweet and has good intentions, <laughs> and I just don't believe it anymore. But I'm with you. But I'm like, this goes back to what we somehow find time to talk about every show is that. I, Kay Ivey runs all of Montgomery. And Matt, you talked about separation of powers and, you know, that things start to look like a monarchy and I can't get that image. We should post that somewhere. <laughs> oh, it's great. Out of my head because that's what it is. She did not want them. She knew, this is the cynic in my head, that she and Scott Harris could run this show and that we, the people, weren't going to do anything. Right. I mean, the mm-hmm. most I I would walk into Sprouts without my mask, and I thought I was Ooh, really giving everybody really the like finger. You. Like I I thought I was leading the rebellion yep. by that. 
But nobody's going to storm the state house or go, you know, like they knew they had us in a corner and totally abused the people of Alabama and their power that honestly with Scott Harris, we didn't even give it to him. Right. And that's another thing, Matt. I mean, how do we remedy this from a larger scale? Because if you, if you take where we are today in comparison to where we were on March of 2020, we're nowhere further along. Like if that happens again, Mm -hmm. everybody still has the same power. So what, how do we do this? Well, you know, the, there are a couple solutions I can think of, but, you know, number one is the, the suit that, that we brought because you, you nailed it, Allison. Um, I'm not going to sit here and, and demonize Kay Ivey. I mean, I think she made some some bad moves. And I'll, I'll even go as far as to say that deciding to run the state, you know, by herself and with Scott Harris was tyrannical. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and call her the devil or literally Hitler, you know, as you know, seems to be uh, the, the common thing that happens in politics nowadays whenever somebody Every, does Hitler, something right. you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the thing is with the precedent that we set, what we have taught the governor's office Mm. is that you can declare an emergency whenever you want, you can do whatever you want during that emergency. And it's pretty much completely up to you on when to end it. Um, with human nature being what it is, you know, look, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe people are naturally sinful. All right. Um, so with human nature being what it is, do you think, you know, if somebody came along later, that was actually evil, that they could take that power and and abuse it very, very badly? Absolutely. And so that's exactly why we have to bring the suit and we have to get the Supreme Court of Alabama to step in and say, look, this was a separation of powers violation. Okay, this is unconstitutional. Uh, Dr. Harris exceeded his authority. Governor Ivey exceeded their authority. And this cannot happen again. Um, so that that is what we're, we're, we're praying for. That's what we're fighting for here. Uh, beyond that, um, I think just, you know, if you can get the people to to, to wake up, um, see how badly the, the governor and, and Dr. Harris abused their authority and, and, and demand that our legislature, um, you know, pass better emergency laws. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of an effort in 2021 to do that. Uh, there were a couple of bills. I think one would allow the legislature to call itself uh, into session, which I think would be a good move. Um, there was another one that would say, uh, I think in an emergency, the governor can only act for 90 days before the legislature votes to, to, to keep it going. Uh, I think that was not ideal, but at least something, you know, yeah. And then when Kay Ivey was asked about these things, uh, on the news, she said, no, in in an emergency, why would you consult a herd of turtles? And she compared herself to Nick Saban. Like, you know, you need Mm. Nick Saban calling the shots. That was like, Forgot about the herd of turtles. Oh, yeah, regular folk. We're a herd of turtles. I mean, unregular folk. Oh, she's classic. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know, but when you think about you know some of the things that that are so central to the American and Alabamian form of governments, um, you know, we fought a war. We fought a war so that you know you can't have a, a a single head of the executive branch say you know, the, the people's representatives and the herd of turtles can get lost. I'm going to do what I want. No, we picked up our arms. We fought over that. And we, you know, we fought jealously for that right to govern ourselves, um, for us to, you know, vest legislative authority in our representatives. Um, you know, quote unquote, non-essential workers might not matter all that much to Kay Ivey and to Scott Harris. You know who they matter to? Um, their representatives because they're their mm-hmm. constituents. Mm-hmm. So if, if she would have just called the legislature back into session like she should have, I think we could have had a much better chance of finding a way to protect the public health while, while at the same time not crushing the economy. Um, 
Anyway, I'm starting to get off uh, a little bit here, but uh, all that goes to say uh, that the people need to know what happened they, and they need to recover that sense of righteous outrage mm-hmm. saying that uh, separation of powers violations are very bad. This is a very bad precedent. We need to demand of our elected uh, officials that they do better. No, I agree. And, and just think, yeah. I mean, non-essential workers really means non-essential families. Non-essential. Yes. Parents, You're picking and choosing the winners. Yeah, non, non-essential mm-hmm. breadwinners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it was a, it was a horrible thing. And, and maybe one day we'll look back on it and, and realize how bad it was. Matt, what. Um, so what's the response from the from the court system in general? I mean, they they had multiple chances other times to deal with this in an emergency fashion. And most of them did the old, I don't have a tremendous amount of respect for the judiciary, so I apologize. And that may be from me being the legislature. But they had the chance to do some of these things, to fix some of these things. And they did the old, well, you know, you haven't been hurt yet, or we'll get to it soon. Y'all please get rid of this before I have to rule. And they just drug their feet and drug their feet. So um, what gives you hope to think, all right, they're going to say, now in retrospect, yeah, this was a, this was a mess up. That's an excellent question, Scott. Um, you know, when, when COVID hit, we actually did see some successful challenges like this to the court systems in other states. We saw success in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Those, those purple states still got that separation of powers mattered. Right. Um, there was one case in 2020 and 2021 that made us way up through the Alabama court system. And, and with all due respect to uh, the courts, I, I think they got this very wrong. Uh, it was it was a challenge to the mask mandate. Um, and when it got up to the Alabama Supreme Court, uh, it, it came out with a nine to zero decision saying, well, it's not ripe for adjudication because no, the, nobody's enforced this and nobody's threatened to enforce it. So we haven't it, put anybody and, you know, in jail for yeah, it. Nobody's Therefore, died yet. Yes. Yes. And it's just, you know, I, I mean, with all due respect to the court, yeah, I think, you know, you know what I think happened there? I think they were, um, I think they were just afraid that if they stepped in and took away the mass mandate, that people were going to die. And so between that and, and feeling that, you know, maybe this was inherently a political decision, I think mm-hmm. those two things teamed up. And I think, um, I think they punted when they should have stepped in. So that was bad. Now, in answer to your question, though, I think what gives me hope for this one is that, all right, a little bit, a little more time has passed. Um, you know, there are no more lockdowns. Uh, there are no more mask mandates in this state. You know, we, we've been mask mandate free for about a year. And guess what? You know, a lot of people have not died because of that. Um, I know obviously COVID is, is, is still real, but the number of COVID cases are going down. The, the, the public freak out, including among our elected officials and, and our judges is going away. So um, I think with the fear factor gone, um, I think the the environment is more ripe for the judges to take an honest uh, an honest mm-hmm. look at this and say, okay, now that we know we're not going to kill a bunch of people with our ruling, um, did we cross the line and, and violate the separation of powers doctrine or not? Um, a- another thing that I think helps distinguish our case from uh, that one where they punted on the mask mandate is. Um, when the mask mandate came out, Governor Ivey essentially admitted that the state wasn't going to enforce it. Um, it, She said on paper that they were, but at a press conference, she said, we're we're not really going to enforce this. Uh, Contrast that to our case where Steve Marshall comes out and says, yes, our cops are standing by and they are going to arrest you if uh, you you violate these orders. So I think that's how we're going to get around uh, the previous decision. So I'm, I'm hoping 
you know, between being able to distinguish that and, and the fact that things have calmed down a lot, um, I'm hoping that we're, we're going to have uh, the, the courts take an honest look at what happened and, and, and make a straightforward decision. So speaking of Steve Marshall and enforcement, it seems like somewhere along the way, and I could be very wrong, he went from we will enforce this to doing things to actually help people not have to take the vaccine, for example, when they were mandated. Mm -hmm. Did you notice anywhere along the way, was there a moment when it seemed Scott went from, I mean, um, Marshall, Steve, Steve, sorry, went from I'm going to do this to now I'm going to help. He quit watching CNN and MSNBC. <laughs> so, and he was but you know, it feels like there was there was a yeah. genesis. Yeah. And I'm wondering, just listening to you and thinking through the events of the last good while, when did that happen? That's an excellent question, Amy Beth. I don't know if I can um, pinpoint a moment, but but I think I think Steve Marshall. Um, one one area where I saw him start to change was. Um, I think it was at the end of the 2021 legislative session, uh, Alabama did pass a vaccine passport ban, which means, okay, the Alabama governor cannot force you to disclose your, your vaccination status. And which in turn means it can't force you to get vaccinated. Right. So, you know, as, as the attorney general, he, he did his job and, you know, uh, upholding that law and issuing guidance saying, all right, let's talk about as a practical matter, what it means in, in certain situations. He put out some guidance out there that I think was pretty good. Um, and then when the Biden administration started overreaching, you know, he joined up with some other Republican AGs and stepped in and tried to uh, try to sue them. So I, I think as time went on, part of it was he was doing his job of following the new laws. Uh, another part of it was just, you know, uh, President Brandon started uh, overreaching and he says, no, nah, I, I don't I don't think so. Well, right. Um, I mean, if we're going to do tyranny. We're going to do it here. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's really wonderful that he did. You know, right. I mean. That's the one person that I've noticed along the way that was willing to bend, look at the evidence and go, yeah, maybe we're yeah, not getting not. this just right. But he's the only mm-hmm. one. And I really appreciate that. Right. Yeah. yeah. In, in fairness, it's like the beginning of COVID and Matt, you kind of touched on this. I mean, our leaders, I had such compassion for them because none of yeah. us knew what we were dealing right. with. Like it could have been Ebola. It could have right. been monkey pox. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? It is. It okay. is now. I mean, it, um, I just made it up, fast. but it's really deadly. Right. Um, you <laughs> know, it, and was so such we a didn't short know. time, though. Well, I mean, well, somewhere by April, May, there were a lot of people saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, so, well, so we could give them, I guess what you're saying, we could give them a little bit for those first two or three months, maybe. Yeah. And I think when you are responsible for lives, you know, on, on, how do you balance that? So, so I, I give them a little bit of credit. We had COVID early. My whole family got it in August and it was August of 2020. Like it was awful. Yeah. It is a very real virus. My husband ended up in the hospital and then one of my kids got MISC, the multi-inflammatory syndrome Mm -hmm. and ended up a week and a half in the hospital. So it gets a very real thing. But I think um, at some point we realized, I mean, that little cloth mask that your grandma knitted for you, it's really not doing anything. Right. <laughs> You're just trying to hold that. And so I think there was an evolution of a lot of us through that. And and so uh, Steve Marshall's done a great job. Um, I also just, again, the cynic in me is like, I, I feel like his hands were tied maybe in the beginning. Like, I'm not going to buck the system hmm. of... interesting. Well, it depends know. what you, if you're the attorney general, what you think your, your role is. Do I enforce yeah. the law? It, it, is, is the governor indeed, does she have this power? Do they have this power for a short amount of time? 
And well, I mean, if you mm-hmm. read in this 1819 news article, and Matt, you could probably speak to this more, but I mean, it's talking about how um, the state health officer has basically the ability, the rules and regulations shall have the force and effect of law and shall be executed and enforced by the same courts, bodies, officials, agents, and employees in the case of health laws. I mean, basically Scott Harris was a one-man band Absolutely. and could play whatever mm-hmm. notes he wanted to. And this is saying that the law had to back him right. up. Is that right, Matt? Matt? Well, yes, yeah, great. Because I got a question after that. You brought okay. something up. Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, you're, you're good. Yeah, I, I would say that's, that, that's essentially right. And, and so that, that's one of the big problems that we have um, nowadays is that both on the federal level and the state level, the administrative state just has far too much power. Right. Um, what you know, it, it there, there is some legitimacy to if um, the legislature passes a law and if it wants to grant some discretion to the executive branch, like agencies on how to execute it, it can do that. But what's happened has been um, uh, politicians. And, and I think a big part of it is because they don't want the political accountability of being responsible for what right, happens. Right. They will pass very vague, very basic laws, and they give a ton of discretion to the executive agencies on how to carry it out to where yeah. those agencies really become the de facto legislatures. Um, and, and and so that, that is a huge problem. So with that statute saying they have the force and effect of law, um, that, that, that's pretty common with what we see. And I think that's something we need to take right. uh, another look at and say, do we really want to give people like Scott Harris all this power? Well, I don't think I, it's a good okay, idea. Okay, so I'm going to defend <laughs> legislators for just one second. <laughs> um, Sounds good. Really? Yeah, I know it's amazing. This is new, and here's and here's why. <laughs> because it's kind of like why we have the Bill of Rights, Matt. I know you're a big, you know, big student of history and the philosophy behind the freedoms we have and the founding fathers. You know, the the debate about the Bill of Rights was, well, we don't need a Bill of Rights. Everyone knows these are God given rights. Everyone understands that. And the legislature mm-hmm. comes along and says, you know what, we probably need to do if if we find out that down at the local hamburger joint, three of the workers have Ebola. We probably need to be able to have the health officer shut down the hamburger joint and quarantine those people and let's get Ebola under. And and someone said, but what if they do the whole state? And everybody said, that's dumb. Shut up. Nobody's going to do the whole state. <laughs> and that's really kind of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. We don't realize that there is somebody willing to take the whole enchilada. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So you come up with this thing and said, oh, we definitely want Allison to be able to do that. And then Allison says... Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I'll just do it across the whole entire state. And right. that's that's kind of how I saw what Scott Harris did. Well, I mean, think about like if there really was monkeypox or whatever we want to call it that had like a 90% death rate mm-hmm. and we really did have a vaccine that actually did something and you've got, you know, a group of this small crazy area, people this town. that won't lock down that are out running. I mean, there's there's a there's a place for some of these that actually could be good, but it's when you get the people in there that just want to exercise their three square feet of authority. Then, I mean, we're not that far looking back because I kind of repressed it, but have y'all seen the videos of people in Shanghai yelling yes. out their windows mm-hmm. that they don't have food oh, yeah. and yes. that, you know, the hazmat and the drone and, comes by and says, yeah. close your window. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm sure they say it in Chinese, but. We, I, looking back, <laughs> I kind of felt like that, though, so. you know, driving right. down 280, there's nobody on there and you're going to get like totally called out in the town square if you walk into wherever without uh, a mask. I mean, 
I think Kay Ivey knew that when she said we weren't going to enforce the mask mandate, it's like what she always does. She lets everybody else do her dirty work. I mean, right. do you know how many times I was like accosted in certain stores for not wearing a mask? Right. Um, anyway, or at the school, you went to the, the school, school function and the little person's like, and you're like, this is yeah. awful. It, I'm about to, yeah. I'm going to have to call Matt to defend me for assault. <laughs> it got bad. It got bad. It, it, it did get bad. I mean, it really did. So speaking of the state health officer and the fact that Alabama is the only state that our health officer is not accountable to anyone, mm-hmm. um, what I got a quote from Chris Shaver. My husband is a gastroenterologist, not your favorite person to see, except for you have to see him. Um, but the encouragement for doctors, because they're to have their leader, they all are a part of the Alabama Medical Association. They are running the state. Essentially, though, Scott took that over and did what he wanted to do, like we've all talked mm-hmm. about. Um, but, you know, talk to the doctors, though, that were willing to go out, for example, and mm-hmm. treat differently, think mm-hmm. outside the box, who did receive letters saying, we are going to pull your license. You are not allowed to prescribe this or that. Um, can you encourage them in this moment of clarity afterwards when it looks like the you know hindsight's 2020? How about to those guys and gals that are out there busting it that were essential, that never stayed home, that if they're if they wore masks or not, they had their very mm-hmm. livelihood and their freedom you know, taken away the very people we needed to treat us. They were treated like the non-essential They were treated like the, yeah, Yeah. that's a great (laughs) way to put it. I mean, so, uh, you know, they didn't care whether it was doctors or the the, the lady lady running her shop. You know, CRNAs, like all Mm -hmm. of them, I would love to encourage them. Right. Because I think there were a small group of people that were like, we're going to do this differently, but we're going to do it. And yet we're threatened Mm -hmm. because they didn't tow the company line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe that. So you know, for for me, I generally, um, I, I, I think I have more trust for uh, the, the medical industry than you know than, than than some have. But for for me, one one thing that I, I just couldn't get past as all this mess unfolded is, you know, the, the, the rallying cry of the left and of Dr. Anthony Fauci and stuff like that was follow the science. Okay, I'm fine with that. But the thing is, science that you can't question is not science. Science is the process of questioning and testing uh, what you think the accepted norms are in order to try to figure out better results. And so when when all of a sudden you got guys like Fauci that come out that figure out, all right, the solution is, you know, cloth masks. And if you get, you know, COVID, well, you come to the hospital, we'll, we'll give you, you know, oxygen and Tylenol and pray for you. And, and that's about it. But oh, hang on a second. Why not? You know, isn't this the time where we need the medical community to get together, to share ideas, to test different things, to bounce ideas off of each other about what's actually working? Because through that process, we can actually get better results. Um, there is one doctor in particular, an Alabama doctor. I'll, um, I'll tell you that what was, was very, very helpful for my family. Um, my brother-in-law, who was 26, he came down with COVID and he was admitted to the hospital and it, he had some uh, comorbidities. He was uh, rather, uh, he was rather large and uh, he, he also had uh, upper respiratory problems. So that was just a bad combination. And um, when it was looked like he was heading on a ventilator, he thought, you know, I'm going to die on this. Uh, but we reached out to this other doctor who was willing to go against uh, the norms and uh, he was willing to try him on ivermectin. Um, 
I, I can't get over how the left lost their mind over this. It's a horse to warmer. No, it's not. Shut up. You know, it's like, yes, it, well, a certain a certain kind of ivermectin can be used for that. I mean, this thing, the, the, the inventor of ivermectin won a Nobel Peace Prize and it's you know, available widely. It's cheap. And it was helping without, you know, any negative side effects. So wh- why not let people try? Right. So this this doctor was able to put pressure on the hospital that was treating my brother-in-law to give him ivermectin for, for a little while. And when he was on that, he started recovering. Uh, but unfortunately, the hospital that was treating him just stopped following that protocol. And my brother-in-law uh, actually died because of that. Oh, so, so sorry. Uh, oh, that wow. was, yeah. Yeah, it was it was absolutely heartbreaking. But um, I, I really want to, you know, that, that doctor... Uh, who was willing to help us. I mean, you know, he stuck his neck out there. He, the only reason why I'm not mentioning his name right here is just because I don't know what repercussions could follow for him. I I identify him, but, but like you guys were saying, that guy was a hero. And I know that there were a lot of others out there uh, who had this mindset. I got in this to help people. I got in this to save lives. And now at the end of the day, I can't even speak or I can't even do what I know is going to work to um to try to help people but th- there were a lot that just said forget that i'm going to take a shot at it anyway and those right. people deserve a ton of credit they really do yeah and how evil do you have to be to see somebody improving and then th- no 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 that's against our rules right and watch yeah. somebody yeah. die that's that's unbelievable but if you think about it think of how many little bureaucrats I, i'm thinking of a story right now it's in one of the counties in north alabama where immediately after all this started the local sheriff and law enforcement said, Hey, y'all have your rules. We're not enforcing that. Right, we're just not right. doing it. And people were like, these are heroes. Yeah. So one of these mm-hmm. restaurants said, Hey, we're going to, we'll open then. And this, you know, we're going to sell our stuff at this price. And, and the health department of all people said, that's fine. You can do that. But you'll probably never reopen by the time you get through doing all the paperwork and stuff. We're going to come down on you with the, the mm. law enforcement may not get you. But we've got this other bureaucracy that can get you. Are, are you have you seen that kind of oh. stuff around, Matt? I don't know if it's part of your suit, but there are some local officials who are are just as responsible as the state officials are yeah. from time to time. Yeah, you know, well, while I haven't seen a lot of cases that nobody's contacted us with um, issues like that, asking for help. I mean, if if there are people out there listening that uh, have been subjected to these kind of things, yeah, please feel free to give us a call. We'd be happy to see what we can do to get them off your back. You know, I, I was just thinking as you were you're talking about that between healthcare workers and and, and folks like that. Um, I'm sorry, so guys. I'm on a podcast. That's all right. That sounds okay. like, we're, we're, like my we're parents. We yeah. understand. Working, like, yeah. working from home. No somebody was just. We're all about unfiltered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, I mean. Yeah. It's. You need to take a break. I, I'm, I'm, we'll see you. No, I'm good. I'm working from home, and somebody just decided to knock on my door. Um, <laughs> Tell them hello. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but, but, you know, my, my mind jumps back to uh, Galatians 5, where, where Paul's talk, he, he says, um, let me see if I can remember the words, but, but he, he says, if there's any commandment, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. It is also an open this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. All right. Think about these healthcare workers. Think about the people that were providing food and stuff that you were just talking about. When when everything is is going to chaos and, and nobody knows how to fight this thing and and nobody really even knows what the proper procedure is, there really is one simple rule that ought to be able to get us through this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're if you have the ability to provide medical treatment, do it. If you have the ability to provide food, do it. And that stuff should not be criminal. 
And the fact that the state and county health departments are coming down on people for that, that, that is the epitome of absurdity, in my opinion. Right. I, I, I just, it blows my mind. That's a very good point. Well, to wrap it up, because we're coming up on, gosh, it's flown by. We're at 50 minutes. Um, so what, okay, for two questions for me, um, the ACLL with the doctors and kind of what you experienced with your brother-in-law in the hospital, is that something that you all would take on cases if with their, um, maybe, I mean, would you want to take on some of these big hospitals that really put their thumb down on some of these doctors? Is that on the horizon at all? We haven't had any requests for help like that. Okay. I certainly would not. Um, I would certainly not rule it out. So if people know okay. that uh, and if they're interested in exploring it, they are willing to, to call us. I will tell you, um, cases like that truly are a um, a huge David and Goliath match because um, mm -hmm. Alabama law does provide a lot of protection for um, hospitals and, and healthcare workers. So you have to be able to get the right expert witnesses, uh, which are often very costly to uh, be able to go after them. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. I, I'm not the type that if I see a big fight, I'm saying, no, I'm not touching that. Um, so we're, we'll, we'll consider it, but okay. people just ought to know, like, all right, th this, this could be costly. So right. that's good. And to then know. people that are listening that maybe have a story as the wine shop in Huntsville and want to sign on as plaintiffs, do they just contact you call? <laughs> Alabama yes, Senate. absolutely. Okay. Um, so, you know, since the news broke of us um, uh, filing this case, we've um, we, we've had another mom and pop shop that has reached out and and has said we want to join the case. I've talked to them. You know, I've, I've believed that they are. You know, they'll be a good fit. So I'm going to bring them on board. Right. Uh, we have a couple other leads of people that want to jump on board. But you know, like I said, even though this isn't a class action, the, with the way I crafted the suit, I left a lot of room. For people that are, are similarly situated who are you know interested in holding the government accountable and, and trying to get made whole so if, if people want to jump on board tell them to uh, give me a call i'd be happy to talk to them and see what i can do for them that's awesome you don't have anything else no this has been so helpful matt thank you i think it's very encouraging to know that this is actually happening right um because i think that's the one thing that was taken away during covid was this sense that something hopeful was on the horizon but like the, the thumb, like you said a minute ago, was just put down on so many people right? Uh, to know that this is out there, that there is hope and that we're making plans for the next time they try to do this is probably very instructive and helpful. Right. So thank you for coming on with us today, Matt. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. It's, it, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matt. We appreciate it. So Matt Clark from the, make sure I get it right, Alabama Center for Law and Liberty. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I appreciate nice it. Work. This has been this week's edition of Alabama Unfiltered. Please give it, please. Why why can I not ever speak when I say that? It's because then we just stare at you. <laughs> yeah, you'll make me like, laugh. <laughs> so this Boy. has been this week's edition of Alabama Unfiltered. Please give us a thumbs up or a five stars, depending on where you're watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you have a great week and we'll see y'all next time.